0: turned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. and he stood up to read, and a scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written: "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor." He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And I said,
1: Thanks, Christian. Uh, hey, friends. Uh, my name is John. I'm the pastor here at Wingfoot. It's good to have you here with us this morning. Uh, so as a church, uh, I don't know what your experience with church is, but as a church, uh, there are two like, fundamental things uh, that shape why we read a book like this. Uh, Christian just read from the Gospel of Luke, and there's two things that we believe fundamentally as a church uh, that cause us to place so much priority on this book. Uh, The first is this, is that if you have trusted in Jesus uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, that God's Holy Spirit is available to you. Uh, That you have God's Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit opens up your mind, opens up your heart to be able to hear and understand uh, what God wants to tell you. And that same Holy Spirit inspired this book, led this book to be written. And so when we read this book, as people who know and trust Jesus, Uh, The Holy Spirit is showing us what God wants us to do. He's going to challenge you and open up some stuff in your heart and your mind to say, hey, uh, in light of this word, let me tell you what I want you to do. Uh, Because this book is all about Jesus. And so when we open it, we are looking for him. We are seeking to understand what he wants us to know. That's why we place so much priority uh, on this book. Uh, But here's the reality. Uh, Some of you may have been beaten up by this book before. Some of you may have had this book kind of uh, thrown against you or verses kind of taken and lobbed against you out of context. And, and so maybe this book causes a little bit of angst for you. Uh, maybe you just have some really big questions about this book that, uh, that no one has seemed like they're willing to answer. Uh, and I want you to know that the Bible, this book that we read, uh, both anticipates and invites your skepticism and your questions. Right? It both anticipates and invites your skepticism and questions. And your questions. It's not written in a fairy tale world, it is written in the real world by real people. And so it's addressing questions and, and concerns and, and, and ponderings that you might have. It's it's saying, hey, I know that you might have some questions, so let's talk about those things. I want you to see this in particularly in the Gospel of Luke. We're starting a new series this morning. Uh, through the Gospel of Luke. uh, Over 10 weeks, we're going to call it Dinner with Jesus, and we'll talk about why we're going to call it Dinner with Jesus in just a minute. But Luke, this guy who wrote this book, uh, he was a doctor, uh, which meant in that day that he probably had more education than most people. Uh, He was a man of reason and science. He knew how uh, stuff worked. He knew how the world worked. And so uh, he was a pretty intelligent guy. Uh, But when he sets out to write this book, Uh, He has a specific person in mind. I want you to see this. If you have your Bible open, I want you to flip over a couple pages to to Luke chapter 1, because he's going to tell us exactly why he's writing this book. And I want you to see that the Bible invites your questions. Uh, So Luke chapter 1, Luke opens up this book, which is also, in fact, a letter. And this is what it says. Uh, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. All right. So Did you catch what Luke is saying there? He, it's like Luke and his buddy Theophilus, they've been having these conversations about Jesus. You kind of get this sense that they both have heard about Jesus. They both have grown up maybe hearing about Jesus. Uh, but Theophilus is, it seems like, wrestling with some questions, right? Or we might say he's deconstructing some things about his beliefs, about his faith. And so what does Luke do? Luke puts his scientist hat on, his his thinker hat on, and he goes and he asks eyewitnesses of Jesus, hey, what did you see? Because uh, Luke writes this within the time frame that a lot of people who experienced Jesus firsthand were still alive, and so he seeks them out, and he gathers their testimony, and now he's sharing with his buddy Theophilus, here's what you need to know. And as you listen to their testimony, you will have confidence in who Jesus is. You see, this whole book was written for someone who had skeptical questions, who wasn't sure what he believed. And Luke is saying, here's how you can have confidence. And so we're going to explore this book together over the next 10 weeks. And we're going to do it uh, by looking at 10 meals that Jesus had. Luke and Theophilus must have spent a lot of time eating together because when Luke writes his story, there's lots of food involved, right? Because any good story has lots of food. Any good relationship has lots of meals. And so Jesus spends 10 meals with people. And over the course of these dinners, we get to understand Jesus better, right? Because uh, the reality is, I think sometimes we can have a, an acquaintance kind of relationship with Jesus, right? You know what an acquaintance is? It's it's someone that you kind of vaguely know, like it's that coworker that you uh, you just pass kind of in the hallway, right? And you know their name, and you kind of have a, like a short conversation, like how's work going. Or some of you that you, you and your neighbors are acquaintances, right? And it's kind of awkward because you've forgotten their name by now and you don't know how to ask again, right? That's an acquaintance, right? It's someone that you kind of know, but you don't really know. But what happens when you invite them to dinner, right? What happens when you have a meal with them or you share lunch with them is, is you move from being an acquaintance to now knowing them a little more personally, right? When someone comes into your kitchen or comes into your living room, they, they see the space that, they, that you live in. Right? They smell the space that you live in. They see the pictures on the wall. They get to know you a little bit better. And that's what happens as people spend time with Jesus, as they move from being an acquaintance to actually knowing him. But you see, I think it's possible to be an acquaintance of Jesus uh, and maybe not really fully realize it. Right? You can be an acquaintance of Jesus, and you can be an acquaintance of Jesus where you just have sort of had this casual kind of passing relationship, uh, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Right? If you are not a Christian, uh, your acquaintance with Jesus might be more of a, a I know of him. Right? I know, I've heard of him. Like My mom talks about him a lot, or my grandma talks about him a lot, or I've, I've listened to a podcast that talked about Jesus, and so your acquaintance with Jesus is, I know of Jesus. You kind of get that sense from the crowd here that Jesus is talking to. They say, isn't that Joseph's son? Right? We know him because of someone else. That might be you if you are here and you are considering Christianity. You know of Jesus, but you don't actually know Jesus. But I think the other thing is that it's possible to be an acquaintance of Jesus if you're a Christian. And that's more of I know about Jesus. I know about Jesus. I can tell you the verses. I can maybe quote a sermon I listened to before. I can read the Bible to you. I know about Jesus, so I can tell you all the facts and figures, but you're still just acquainted with him. You kind of have like a professional relationship with Jesus where, where you come into church on Sunday and you kind of clock in with Jesus for an hour and then you clock out for the rest of the week. And one of the statistics I heard recently that uh, was looking at kind of the COVID world that we live in and kind of anticipating what's going to happen whenever we get out of this uh, is they surveyed like national survey. They said close to a third of people who were in church before COVID have no plans of ever coming back. Think about that. A third of people who were regularly attending church uh, before COVID have no plans to come back. Why? Because they had a professional relationship with Jesus. Right? They'd come into church and, and so for that hour in church, they'd clock in with Jesus, and the rest of the week, uh, they would have no connection with him, no relationship with him. They're just acquainted with him. And so the longer that it went where we weren't in church together, the more they realized I don't know that I really need that relationship, anyways. And so people are checking out because they were just acquainted with Jesus. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here. Maybe, you, maybe you're wondering, what's this Jesus thing all about? That's what we're going to look at over this series. That's where, why we're starting in Luke chapter 4. Uh, we're going to come back to Luke 1 through 3, closer to Christmas. But Luke chapter 4 begins Jesus' uh, public ministry. It's where he's calling people to follow him. It's where he's teaching people about Jesus. And he starts in his hometown. He starts in his hometown. Now, now, if any of you have ever gone back to your hometown, right, maybe you moved away and you go back to, like, your parents' house uh, or you go back to, like, your high school, wherever you went to high school, you know that that's kind of an awkward space, right? That, that you kind of are stepping into a space where people knew you then, but they don't really know you now, and you've grown and you've changed a lot. And so Jesus begins this whole thing in his hometown, and we find that a lot of people were acquainted with Jesus, and that's actually a problem. It's actually a problem. Because what Jesus does, he stands up in a gathering like this, right? Lots of people kind of gathered on a particular day of the week, and someone invites him to read, and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61. And there's something really important and really powerful that is happening in this moment that we have to understand uh, to understand the weight of what's happening. So we're going to kind of dive into a little bit of some uh, Bible history for just a minute because you have to understand what Jesus is saying here. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, and Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament. It was written several hundred years before what Jesus is doing here. And God made a promise to his people. He said, I'm going to bring the year of my favor. And notice all the things that are happening here, man, like uh, poor, poor people are receiving good news. Captives are set free. Blind people can see. Liberty comes to those who are oppressed. Like, that is an incredible message. But Isaiah 61 is actually referencing Leviticus 25, right? And Leviticus is that book that you get stuck on because there's lots of rules and it becomes kind of dry. And, but there's some deep stuff in Leviticus that help us understand what Jesus is saying here. Because in the back half of Leviticus, uh, God provides his people a calendar, a calendar of events, just like we have a calendar of holidays that we celebrate. They had a calendar of holidays that they celebrated and they were designed to teach people the people some things. And Leviticus 25 is all about what was called the year of Jubilee. And that's what's referenced here, this year of the Lord's favor. And it was a once in a lifetime event. It happened once every 50 years. And here's what happened on that day. It was a whole year thing where three things happened. The first is this, all debts were canceled. All debts were, so think about the credit card debt that you have, right? And think about that being canceled just in an instant. We have $930 billion in credit card debt in our country. Just imagine that being canceled. right? That's one of the things that happened uh, at this event. The second thing that happened is all land was returned to the original owners. Right? Because if you got into debt, sometimes you'd sell off a field or you'd sell off a land. And, and if you weren't careful, uh, some people might start to earn or own more of the land than other people. And so in that year, everything went back how it was supposed to go. And then the third thing that happened is this. Anyone who was enslaved was set free. No questions asked. So think about that. Once every 50 years, some historians call this a complete socioeconomic reset. It prevented generational poverty, prevented generational injustice. It, it made sure every generation had the same opportunity as the previous generation had to thrive and flourish in God's community. But here's the thing. If you read through the Old Testament, there's no evidence that Israel ever figured it out. They never actually celebrated because they always messed it up. They always kind of got in the way. They didn't want to celebrate it even though it was this thing that God promised them. And so when Jesus says, this is fulfilled in my presence, right? today is the day. Man, think about the excitement. These people would have known what he was talking about. And he says, this is gonna happen today. And so Luke kind of gives us the sense that there's this buzz in the room, right? Every eye is on Jesus, because if he has just said what he just said, that means everything is about to change, right? They're excited. We're going to see power come, There's going to be a a moment that's about to happen because of what Jesus is saying, but then something changes. Something happens in the room, because the story begins, and everyone's excited, but by the end, they want to kill him. So what happens? There's one question that's asked. Is this not Joseph's son? Is this not Joseph's son? In other words, they're like, oh, we want to see this power. We want to see this moment. We want to see this thing. But hold on a second. I don't know that he can do it. I don't know that Jesus has the authority to do this. I don't think he can actually pull this off. After all, I changed his diapers. That's in a sense what they're saying, right? I watched him grow up. I don't know that he has the authority. I like the promise of the power, but I don't like his authority. And see, I think this is fundamentally the bottom line of what Luke chapter 4 is saying is this, is that if you want to experience Jesus' power, you also have to embrace his authority. Or another way to put that is up here on the screen. Embracing or experiencing the power of Jesus and embracing the authority of Jesus go hand in hand. You see, uh, the the people, they don't want Jesus' authority. They love the promise of the power. They don't want his authority. And so they end up rejecting him. And if you read further, Jesus goes to the next town, and all this stuff that he talks about here that they're so excited about, he actually does in the next town over, but he doesn't do in their town. Why? Because they don't want his authority. They want his power, but they don't want his authority. And you see, I think we do that all the time, right? We want Jesus's power, but we don't want his authority in our life. I mean, have you ever been in that space where you pray that desperate prayer, right, where it's like, man, God, if you would just do this for me, then I promise I'll obey you over here. And that's, that's I want your power, I don't want your authority. Right, would you just come through for me with this prayer, and then I promise to straighten my life up over here. I want your power, I don't want your authority in my life. You see, when we do that, we treat Jesus like a genie. And It's like, I want, I want you to do stuff for me over here, but don't get all up in my business. All right, don't call the shots for my life, just kind of fix my life for me, and then I'll continue to be in charge of my life over here. You see, and I think this is especially true like if you're considering Christianity or maybe it's been a while since you were like in church or, or you walked away for a little bit is a lot of times people walk away because they aren't experiencing the power of it. Right? Or people aren't re- re- really willing to commit to Christianity until they kind of have that moment, right? Where they see, okay, yeah, I know this is true. Yeah, I've experienced this. But, but here's the thing. Until you embrace the authority of Jesus, you wanna experience the power of Jesus. You see, you wanna try it before we buy it. We live in kind of a tribe before you buy it world, so I want to test-drive my car, and I, and I want to uh, like live with my girlfriend before we're married because I want to make sure that things are going to work out with me, that it's going to be okay, and we do the same thing with Jesus. Say, so well, I want to, I want to like, know if this is going to work before I'm willing to commit, but that's not how Jesus works. You have to embrace his authority in order to experience his power. You have to recognize that he is in charge, that he is king, that he's calling the shots here, and that then I need to respond to him by embracing his authority. Now, there's a caveat to this, though, right? It's not, it doesn't kind of work this way, where, where if I embrace his authority, then, he, then I'm going to conjure his power, right? That would be, still be him being a genie, right? Where I say, okay, I'm going to obey you, and therefore, Jesus, you owe me. Therefore, Jesus, you have to come through for me, because I did all these things for you over here. That's not how it works. It's a matter of positioning, I'm going to position myself in a place where I'm obedient to Jesus. I'm following what he calls me to. Uh, I'm trusting his authority. And then he's going to come through in ways that I might not even see yet. But I'm being obedient to him now. And so then he's going to come through and he's going to show up because he's promised that if I obey him, if I trust him, if I follow him as my authority, then he's going to show me his power. You see, I think it's really important to get that Jesus is an authority here. And I think there's three ways in which uh, if you start to experience and embrace his authority in your life, you're going to start to experience his power in your life. And you have to embrace that authority to experience the power. See, I think there's three things that Jesus has power, uh, he has authority over that. As you, as you start to say yes to his authority, you'll start to experience his power in your life. And the first is this, is that Jesus has the authority to forgive your sins. Jesus has the authority to forgive your sins. Uh, throughout the rest of the story of Jesus, he forgives people their sins, and everyone's like, whoa, you can't do that. That's a thing that only God can do, and yet Jesus forgives their sins. He offers people a fresh start, but here's the thing. You have to embrace his authority to forgive your sins before you will experience the power of his forgiveness. Let me give you a picture of this. So we have two other elders here at Wingfoot, uh, Steve and Tom. Now, Steve is here. Tom is not this morning. Uh, so I want to give you just a picture. So I want you to imagine uh, that Steve and Tom are fighting, and uh, and Steve punches Tom. Right now, I'm not telling you what our actual elder team is like, so don't worry. That's not kind of what. But just for picture this for a minute. All right. Uh, now, if I'm standing there and I'm watching this, and I say to Steve, Steve, I forgive you. Right? Do I have the authority to forgive Steve? No, I don't. Why? Because I wasn't the one who's wronged. I wasn't the one who was hurt in that process. I'm not the one who Steve came against. Steve came against Tom. And so Tom is the only one with the authority to forgive. And so here's the thing. When you embrace Jesus' authority over your life, it's recognizing that I sinned against him, that my uh, rebellion was actually against him. You see, sin is not just this thing that we all agree upon is sin. Sin is something that God has defined in his word. And so when I am when rebellious, Uh, When I do things my own way and I say no to Jesus, it's actually sinning against him. But when I embrace his authority, what I'm saying is that, Jesus, you are the only one who can forgive me of my sins. Because you are the authority. You're the one who I have wronged. And so what Jesus does is he offers forgiveness then. And he has the authority to offer that forgiveness. And so as I embrace his authority to forgive my sins, I will start to experience the power of his forgiveness in my life. Because if he is the one who has the authority to forgive sins, and he has forgiven my sins, then no one else can bring it up. I mean, think about that. No one else can bring it up. No one else was wrong. Jesus is the one that I wronged, and yet Jesus has forgiven me. This is why in Romans 8, Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Which means that as you embrace his authority to forgive your sins, you will start to experience freedom from shame. You'll start to experience freedom from my past freedom from my failures, right? So so if you have trusted in Jesus and you start to feel like guilt or shame or something you did in the past before you knew Jesus, that's not the voice of Jesus. Jesus has forgiven you. And he has declared in his authority that this is now no longer between you and me. You see, often I think the enemy, Satan, wants to creep in and remind you of how you failed in the past. But Jesus, who has the authority to forgive you, has forgiven you. And so as you embrace his authority, you will start to experience freedom from your shame, freedom from your past. You'll be given a new start. But it starts with acknowledging that he's the authority and I need his forgiveness. And this is where Christianity starts, is by receiving his forgiveness. And then experiencing the power of that forgiveness at work in your life. The second place in which we embrace the authority of Jesus, and as you embrace his authority, you'll start to experience the power, is his power to interpret scripture, his power at work in scripture. You see, when Jesus is in this congregation, he's reading from Isaiah chapter 61. And then he says, heads up, this is about me. I have fulfilled this. And if you read to the end of Luke 24, we're going to look at it in a couple weeks, Jesus actually says all of scripture is about him. It's all about him. And so this is why it's an authority in our life. Because Jesus has said, this is the word that's about me. But as you embrace the authority of this word, you will start to experience the power of it. You see, I think we're often sort of running around waiting for kind of that, like, light from the sky moment, right? You want that, that moment where, like, the clouds open up. Like, like, you know that scene in Lion King where Simba, like, hears that voice from heaven? I think that's what we want, right? We want that kind of moment where, like, the sky opens up and God says, Steve. I'm here, right? We want that kind of moment, right? There's two Steves right in front of me. That's why I said Steve, right? We want that kind of moment. We want that experience. Let me tell you, if you know Jesus, man, you can have that experience every day. You can have that experience every day because he has given us this word, and this word has the authority of Jesus. See, so often we're trying to chase these kind of Uh, moments where we have this like kind of experience where i have the chills or i kind of feel like god's presence is here and yet we aren't willing to open up this word and experience his word in our life but as you embrace his authority in this word as you are in this word and allow this word to guide you and shape you and and direct you you will start to experience the power of it in your life you see for me uh the experience of this power often comes with verses in the king james version now let me explain what i mean by that uh, it's not that the King James is any different than any other Bible translation. But when I was a kid, I was encouraged to memorize Scripture. And what did I memorize? I memorized the King James Version. And so what will happen is oftentimes I'll be in prayer, or I'll be kind of like thinking about a decision, and a verse will pop into my mind. Uh, and it's in the King James Version, which I haven't read in like forever. And it may even be a verse I haven't read in like 10 or 20 years. And so what does that mean? That's, that's the Holy Spirit who is the power of God present within me, reminding me of Scripture. And so I get to experience the power of Scripture because I've embraced the authority of Scripture. You see, if you're not embracing the authority of this word, you can't expect to hear from God in other ways. If you're ignoring the clearest sign that he's given you, that he wants to speak to you. And so as you embrace his authority, you'll start to experience his power. The third thing is this. As you embrace his authority to give you a new identity, you will experience his power. You see, each of the people that are mentioned here in Isaiah 61 in this passage that Jesus read, they have been devalued by the world around them, right? They have been oppressed. They have been pushed to the side. They are the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, uh, and people have valued them and pushed them to the side and says, you don't matter here. And yet, those are the very people that Jesus says, I'm starting with. Because what Jesus does is that when you embrace his authority, he will give you a new identity. He sets you free from the things that have defined you. He sets you free from the things that have kept you in bondage. He sets you free from those value statements that people have made against you. And so as you embrace his authority over your life, he will start to give you a new sense of worth that's based not on you, but on him. See, I think oftentimes our identity in our world is based on achievement. Right? Can I get enough followers? Can, can I get enough money? Can I, can I make enough of myself and other people acknowledge me, right? Our identity is based on achievement. But the identity that Jesus gives us is based on his grace and based on his authority in your life, All right? Think about this, like the kind of the center word of authority is author, that he's the one who gave you life. And so he wants to write a story in your life. He wants to be the author of your life where where he knows who you are and he wants to lead you and guide you to become who he wants you to be based on his grace and his forgiveness. This is why in 1 Corinthians it says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And so as you embrace his authority to define who you are, to, to lay out for you, here's who you are and here's who I want you to be, you will start to experience the power of that identity at work in you where you'll start to experience freedom from the labels and the things that people have said about you to devalue you because your identity is not based on them. It's based on Jesus. It's based on his power and what he did for you. You see, as you embrace his authority, you will start to experience his power. But I think so often we don't experience his power is because we have not been obedient to listen to him. We've not been obedient to allow him to, to call the shots in our life. And so my fear is that we become a community like this one that, that is resistant to Jesus' authority. It says, no, I don't want that. I want the power. I don't want your authority, Jesus. But if we are embracing his authority in our life, allowing him to call the shots in the, in the everyday stuff of our life by being in his word and by trusting that when he says to do something, it is good, we will start to experience his power at work within us. Because he's going to be working his power in and through us as we embrace his authority. I mean, can you imagine if we were that kind of community, right, that said, Jesus, you're in charge. Whatever you want, however weird or awkward it might seem, however the world around us might not understand it, we're going to trust you. You have declared that we are free. You have declared that we are forgiven. And so we're going to trust you and follow you no matter what. Then we would start to experience his power. And I think people would start to take notice of that. Because he said, this is the year the Lord's favor." And so all bonds are broken, right? The blind will see, liberty will come as you embrace his authority. Let's be that kind of place, church. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we are here because you're the authority. You're the author. You're the one who defines who we are. God, our identity is not based on merit. It's not based on what we earn. It's based on you. God, forgive us for the ways in which we're trying to chase an experience, but not embracing your authority, not listening to you and your word, not following you. God, for the one who's here who's maybe kind of wanting to try it before they buy it, try out Christianity, see if it works before they're willing to embrace your authority. God, would you give them just a, a sense of how good and strong and powerful you are? That you're the author of, your, of their life, and so you want to uh, be in charge of their life. God, allow us to uh, embrace your authority to trust you. And God, would we see your power at work? God, would that power at work not, not go to the next neighborhood, but would it be present here because we're saying yes to your authority so that we could see you do a mighty work in and through us? And it's in the strong name of Jesus, who is the authority, who is the king, that we pray these things. Amen.